On today's episode of Against the Grain, the only thing more embarrassing than the Eagles pulling Jalen Hurts is the reaction around the NFL. Come on, grow up, NFL. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Welcome back to Against the Grain. I'm your host, Andrew Perloff, here with Marvin Prince. Now, we've been off for a little while because we were home for COVID-related reasons, and we weren't sure when we were going to start up again. But then the Eagles against the Washington football team happened, and the NFL exploded with anger on my hometown Philadelphia Eagles. Doug Peterson pulling Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfeld. All of a sudden, everyone's ripping the Eagles. Everyone's ripping Doug Peterson. To me, Marvin, the more embarrassing thing is the things that people were saying after that game happened. And I'll break it down. And we're going to have uh, my friend Mike Sielski from Philadelphia Inquirer explain. Wh- he agrees with me, by the way, why the Eagles were not wrong in what they did. It's been done in the NFL forever. Here are my reasons. Okay. If it wasn't for the Giants possibly making the playoffs, say Washington had already clinched that game, no one on earth would even notice them pulling Jalen Hurts in that situation. If the Eagles fans care, they're off their rocker because it's just like the the process. Like, you want to do what's best for your team. I don't care if you win this meaningless game against Washington. First of all, you move down from 9 to 6. Not only that, you do look at Sudfeld, who everyone's laughing at, like he's not an NFL quarterback. He's been around a while. Like, they, they've had interest in Nate Sudfeld at times. They got to decide who's going to be the backup next year. There was no reason to play Jalen Hurts there. He didn't even have his starting guys around him. You know, there's not like he was throwing to Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, so I don't want to judge Hurts on that either. I do like Hurts, by the way. Then they got this Carson Wentz coming up. That's the Eagles side. Then Giants coach Joe Judge says that the Eagles disrespected the game. Let's break this down a little bit. Were the Giants respecting the game when they completely no-showed against the Ravens two weeks ago? I mean, they were not present on that football field. I could go through the rest of the Giants' schedule. I mean, it's not like they were respecting the game when they basically got shut out by teams like the Cardinals. Like, they've been doing nothing. Joe Judge was—I really like Joe Judge. I think he's a good coach. But 6-10, and 10, dude, you're 6-10. and 10. Shut up. There's just no other line except I screwed up this year. We're 6-10. and 10. We're going to be better next year. I don't want to hear you talking about other teams. Wow. I can't believe I just said that. I'm terrified of Joe Judge, by the way. Marvin, Joe Judge is from Philadelphia. He went to a really tough school. They used to, we used to see these guys on the pickup basketball court. They were the kind of guys who weren't as good as us but would beat us up after the game. You ever run into them? Oh, of course. Yeah. Like, they're not going to win the game. But after the game, oh, you yeah. don't want to see them. Yeah, it was this one particular, like, this group of schools would just not, they were not fun to see. Uh, yeah, they kind of bullied us. But we were better at basketball. Like, we were really skilled players. They were much tougher. Joe Judge, much tougher than me. And I'm, if he was here, I wouldn't say any of this. He actually scares me a little bit. Kind of like a, a lot of those ex-Patriots guys, like Vrabel, those guys are intense. So I, I do believe he respects the game. I think he was talking to his team and his fan base, trying to get everyone fired up. But it's just really, like, it's kind of embarrassing that you're talking at 6-10, and 10, you're complaining that a team did what was in their best interest. Meanwhile, Steelers don't start Ben Roethlisberger against the Browns. You don't hear Dolphins fans going up in arms. It's just that this happens in the NFL. It's always happened in the NFL. I think people just want to be angry now. They always just want to find something to be outraged at. This is just not it. Not like, by the way, Jalen Hurts might not have even won the game. We don't know that he was guaranteed to win the game. So anyway, we're going to have Mike Sealski on. Sealski got into it hardcore 
with the Giants fans. He pointed out very smartly that the Giants, middle of the season, they're 5-4, and four, they bench Kurt Warner for Eli Manning. That is not to win the game. That's to play for the future. So you're a franchise who's done that. And, you know, there's other times where you've played young quarterbacks. So you, you have no leg to stand on here. And Joe Judge has not been around. He does not have the right to criticize a Super Bowl winning coach. Now, listen, I know Doug Peterson's had a bad year. But Joe Judge, he didn't have that great a year. He was 6-10. and 10. And we don't know that Joe Judge, they seem like a promising team. They're, they're no guarantee to be 12-4 and four last next year. We have no idea what Daniel Jones is. So Joe Judge talking a lot for a guy who hasn't done it yet. I, I'm very, really negative here. I feel bad. Because what if Joe Judge is like going to come on the DP show and hears this and that, then he won't? No, but I think you're really on brand with your hometown right now. But I think you're completely on the ball because they had more than enough opportunities to seal up the NFC East. I was at the Cleveland Giants game. Oh, did the Giants did not show up for that game at all. I mean, so feel free to just blame yourselves because this wouldn't even been a conversation if you guys had just won one of those games against the Ravens or the Browns and you're getting ready for Tampa Bay at home. So you really don't have anybody to blame but yourselves. The Dolphins should be mad. 10 and 6, they should be mad. But it is one of those years where really good records don't get you into the playoffs in one conference and really bad records get you into the playoffs in another. It's just one of those weird years. But, nah, I don't want to hear from Giants fans. You guys had more than enough opportunities to win. Did you work the uh, Giants-Cowboys? I did not. Why not? That's that. Usually you're all over those games of the Meadowlands. I know, but I got to show some love. Uh, I usually do like uh, Sunday Night Football. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, the that game, by the way, the Giants, <laughs> this proud team, they <laughs> not only did, if Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys coach, who was out to lunch and challenged that drop ball, the Cowboys might have won anyway. Then the Giants fumble the ball in the when they're running the clock out. Wayne Gallman fumbles the ball, sits on it, somehow comes up with it, and luckily they found a camera angle because the Cowboys came out of the scrum with the ball, but there was a point where Gallman had it. They almost blew that game hysterically to be 5-11. and 11. This is not like the Bill Parcells Giants. So it really kind of bothers me that they were high and mighty over the Eagles. Uh, yeah, I w- let's get Mike on because he- he's with me. I'm just going to start yelling now. So Mike has some more cogent thoughts on why this outrage against the Eagles is totally unfair. <laughs> were you like genuinely mad at the reaction uh, on Sunday night and Monday morning, I was angry. Like I couldn't sleep. I saw it. you tweeted out the giant Eli Manning and the Giants fans were going nuts, saying the Eagles let them down. And you had a great point that we used on the DP show that they sat e, uh, Kurt Warner when they were five and four for Eli Manning. I read that and I was just fired up after that. I was like, Giants, you have no right to say this. You were six and ten. Yeah, I mean that that really kind of that that was the thing that bothered me most about the whole thing was that. The Giants, if you've spent any time around them covering them, um, they love to tell you and have been this way for years about how classy they are. And <laughs> the fact is that most teams are not above what the Eagles did Sunday night. Now, obviously, it was jarring to see Nate Sudfeld come into the game at that time. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you're making a principled argument that teams should not should always try to win every game. Well, I'm sorry, teams violate that principle all the Mm -hmm. time. And Mm -hmm. 
if you acknowledge that, then all we're talking about here is like an ends justify the means approach. Well, the Giants had to play Eli back in 2004. He's their franchise quarterback. Okay, but you were five and four, and you weren't as good with him in the lineup immediately as you were with Kurt Warner. So riddle me that, Batman. It's just it's th- th- these kind of debates just drive me crazy. Oh my God, I know, and uh, either it's not just Giants fans. Like a lot of people nationally, are like oh. You know, Collinsworth and Al Michaels were like disrespecting the game, basically. What if Doug Peterson had said before the game, I'm playing Nate Sudfeld in the fourth quarter, no matter what? Do you think that would have alleviated all this? I think it absolutely would have. And that's my complaint with the way the Eagles, and I guess you could say Doug in particular, handled all this, is that it seems like, you know, based on the reporting that's been done since then, Doug kind of sprung this on his players, Mm. or at least some of them. Um, Or... He should have, you know, once you get to the point where it's 17-14 in the fourth quarter, there should have been some kind of understanding that, okay, now we're going to play to win. But the fact of the matter is, and there's no getting around this, the Eagles losing that game is better for them Mm -hmm. in the long term. It just is. There's an appreciable, tangible difference between having the sixth pick in the draft, which they now have, and the ninth pick in the draft. Now, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that the NFL has set up the incentives that way. But the fact is that the incentives are set up that way, and teams follow those incentives all the time. And so there's this natural conflict between what the players on the field want to do and how they feel and what the big the franchise as a whole needs to do for its long-term health, and here we are. Oh, man. So is the outrage that we're hearing about in Philly, is that real? Uh, you know, Sal Palantonio said on the show that Callers in the radio are just irate at the Eagles. But my friends who are Eagles fans are not irate. I'm, I'm curious what the real local reaction is. Here's why I think they're irate, Andrew. People are irate. I think they're irate because Philadelphia, to a degree, got embarrassed on the national mm. stage. And it doesn't so much matter why the Eagles were embarrassed or Philadelphia was embarrassed. It's just the idea that Philadelphia is regarded as an embarrassment right now. Yeah. I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people who root for the Eagles who see the logic and the benefit in what they did. Now, look, again, I don't like this either. I don't like the the optics of it. I don't like the principle of it. But the fact of the matter is this stuff happens all yep. the time. The yep. nature of the way it happened this time was a bit different. You know, as I said, it was jarring to see Nate Sudfeld come into that game at that moment. But, you know, it would have been worse in some ways, if you think about it, if Doug Peterson had started Nate Sudfeld in that game. You know, you, you rightly pointed out, if Doug had just said, hey, I'm going to start Nate Sudfeld. He's been our backup quarterback for four years. You know, I was a backup quarterback. I want to get him in a game. Everybody would have been cool with it. But in reality, it would have made the Eagles even less likely yeah. to win that yeah. game. Yeah. They would have been tanking even worse than it turned out they were. So, you know, what are we talking about here? We're, we're you know, we pick and choose when we want to get outraged about this stuff and when we don't. I mean, the, the, to me, the constant example of this, the New York Jets this year lost their first 13 games. And everybody and their grandmother killed them yeah. for not only winning once, but winning twice because it meant they weren't going to get Trevor Lawrence in the draft. Oh, the Jets are jetsing all over again. Well, which is it, guys? Yeah. Either tanking is good or tanking is bad. It can't be both. Yeah, I'm, I'll just name names. Mike Greenberg, who's Mr. Jets fan, was tearing apart the Eagles. I'm like, you were mad at the Jets for losing. It's it's such hypocrisy. I right, actual going from nine to six. 
Uh, even before the game, Albert Breer tweeted, oh, I think the Eagles are thinking about Devonta Smith with uh, not starting all their guys. They sat a bunch of healthy guys too, by the way. No one's talking about that. But uh, I don't want them to go from 9-6 to six and take another wide receiver because that's really, in, in my mind and a lot of my friends' minds, Howie Roseman taking Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson and taking J.J. Ortega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf, that's a bigger problem than playing Nate Sudfeld. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wrote this Sunday night while the game was going on and, and mentioned it on Twitter the next day. Everybody's fixating on this tanking issue when the two bigger issues, quite frankly, are number one, as you pointed out, Howie Roseman's draft record, you know, in recent years and the idea that sixth pick, ninth pick, first pick, you know, nobody in Philadelphia has confidence that he's going to do the right thing with the pick. And then second of all, you have a cold war in full flame between Carson Wentz and the franchise that he's supposed to be the centerpiece of. The franchise quarterback wants to be traded, and the Eagles are going to have to do that at some point yeah. this offseason. And yet those issues have been totally drowned out by Nate Sudfeld throwing an interception and fumbling and Washington getting into the playoffs. By the way, that interception was, as Collinsworth said, as good as a pun. It was third and six, and he threw a, a Hail Mary 50 yards. Out. Anyway, we're not going to talk about Nate Sudfeld. So uh, what's the deal with Carson Wentz? There are a lot of people saying the cap numbers aren't going to work out. They're not going to be able to trade him. Does he have to go? I think he does. I think he absolutely has to go. You look at the language of Chris Mortensen's report the other day, mm-hmm. um, that the relationship between him and Doug Peterson is damaged beyond repair. You, you can't have a situation like that. And believe me, I, I've been somebody arguing that they should keep him. They can't trade him. You've got to find a way to make this work because of the cap hit and the numbers and the money and all that stuff. But after Sunday, um, and especially because Wentz did not speak to the media on Monday, he, he in the past has had opportunities and taken them to clarify things that he has said or that have been said about him. Mm. He is not taking that opportunity now. It seems clear to me that he – you know, doesn't disagree or has no issue with the Mortensen report, um, you know, something's going to have to give here. And I think the Eagles in the end are going to have to bite the bullet and trade him and just take the cap hit uh, and say to themselves it didn't work out because I can't see how you can bring him back given what is out there now um, about the relationship between him and Peterson and the franchise. Right. But if you actually like all that dead money, I mean, that's got to be a real thing. The other thing is, you go into next year with Jalen Hurts and Nate Sudfeld in your quarterback room. Maybe you sign a veteran backup. I don't know. Are they confident enough that Hurts is going to be able to do the job? I think they're going to have to be. Yeah. Um, you know, unless I mean, unless there's some kind of grand master plan where they're going to take another quarterback with the sixth. Pick well, the yeah. Well, is that a quarter, is that an option? A quarterback factory, Andrew. Come on. I mean, listen. Uh, the, you know, the uh, there are teams that are really good are aggressive in drafting quarterbacks. The Chiefs took Mahomes when they didn't need him. You know, the Packers keep drafting guys when they don't need him. So maybe there's something to collecting quarterbacks in the draft. Well, there. I mean, that's, let's be honest here. That's, the Eagles follow that strategy, and, and yeah. it's worked for certain franchises over time. The Cowboys in the 70s, the Packers in the 90s, the Patriots throughout Brady and Belichick's mm-hmm. run. The difference is, is that those franchises didn't have the – the holes and the shortcomings that the Eagles have right now. I mean, they can collect all the quarterbacks they want. They can only put one on the field at a time. They still are going to need a left tackle, probably. They're still eventually going to need other offensive linemen and linebackers and defensive backs (laughs) and all these things. So, um, you know, in theory, I understand why the Eagles took Hurts and why they might want to take another quarterback, you know, this coming draft. But in reality, it doesn't seem smart to me. Well, you're reminding me of Sam Bradford was in the house when they took Wentz. That was a very confusing 
that was all the same offseason, right? Where they traded up for went and they had Bradford in the contract. It was exactly the same situation. They had just signed Bradford to a two-year deal for pretty good money. Yeah. They decide that they wanted Carson Wentz. They trade up to get him. And it's funny how things work out. As soon as they made those two trades to get the number two pick, and everybody knew they were going to take Wentz, Bradford asked for a trade, and people in Philadelphia killed him for yeah. it. Absolutely killed him. <laughs> oh, he doesn't want to compete for his job. No, he could read the writing on the wall, and he knew he wanted to go somewhere where he could start. Now the reverse is true, and Carson Wentz is the one who wants out because he wants a chance to start somewhere else. It's funny how things work out. What do you think this story uh, about the Nate Sudfeld part of it will be dead in Philadelphia? Is this a week story, a month story, a forever story? I think it's a few weeks, a couple of weeks, I'd say. Um, the, the good part for the Eagles is that the Sixers are playing really well. Yeah. Um, so now that the Eagles season is finished, people can start paying attention a little bit more to the fact that the Sixers look like a, a different team through the first seven games of this season. Um, so that's good. The Flyers will be starting soon enough. So that's another minor distraction. Um, but you know this. I mean, the Eagles dominate. They're, yeah. they're, the, they're the most important entity uh, most popular entity in Philadelphia. I mean, our Eagles beat reporters are more important to us than, quite frankly, our City Hall beat reporters are to us. And that's no slight to our City Hall beat reporters. It's just the way it is. Oh, my God. It's so true. Uh, and job security, everybody, Peterson and Roseman are fine for now, right? It sure looks that way, yeah. I mean, look, you know, people are speculating that Peterson's going to get fired because of what's happened over the last couple of days. I don't see it that way at all. Yeah. I see him as, you know, the bulletproof vest for Roseman and for Jeffrey Lurie. Um, taking all these bullets and criticism um, because he's basically doing their bidding. I mean, you can't if you shot Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman up with sodium pentothal and said, "Hey guys, you lost the game and you now have the sixth pick instead of the ninth pick." Is that okay with you? They would go, "Absolutely." <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm like you. I'm going to stay positive. Uh, the Sixers, as of this recording, top of not just the East, the entire NBA standings. That's unbelievable. So we won't talk about the Eagles, and we won't talk about Villanova basketball be, being delayed, which, by the way, Dan pointed out the other day. is like nobody is following any college basketball storyline during the NFL season. So I don't know if you've even paid attention to Nova, but uh, I like— Who's their coach again? I, I forget. Yeah, I don't I, know who their coach is. I don't know. I guess the Final Four is going to be— No, the whole tournament's in Indy, which is actually pretty cool, but who knows if we'll be even able to go. So what are you working on next, Mike? What can we expect? Well, I'm plugging away uh, on a book, as you know, uh, oh, yeah. on a particularly um, famous alumnus of your alma mater, Lower Marion High School. Um, it's due out this fall, a book about Kobe Bryant um, and the early part of his life. And uh, yeah, plugging away on some more Eagles columns because people in, in and around Philadelphia can't get enough of that. How's the Kobe stuff going? If you, I don't know if you're allowed to say. I mean, obviously, you're no, not going to say it's, terrible. No, it's going well. I have yeah. a couple more months to finish the manuscript. Um, I'm basically 13 chapters into a 17-chapter manuscript. It's the way I'm describing the book is um, it's Batman Begins for the Black Mamba. I'm focusing exclusively on the first half of his life, particularly his four years at Lower Marion. Hmm. Uh, and the book will end right at the moment um, that he joins the Lakers. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a really rewarding process. Wow. And, uh, I hope people enjoy it. It's amazing the cultural impact, even in this strange 20—I mean, Kobe is still felt— all the time. Not, not just, I mean, nationally, I feel like he's mentioned, it's just like his impact is really just shown up lately. Even the other day, I saw a tweet, somebody was talking, oh, it was a, an ad for Nike talking about his impact uh, amongst like LeBron and everything. It's just like, it, it's unbelievable. I, I don't think I knew when he was alive how much impact he had on people. No, I, I certainly didn't either. Yeah. And it's, it seemed to have intensified even in the year, couple of years before his death, yeah. um, and then certainly 
you know, come January 26th, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's hit everybody. Yeah. In the meantime, it's all about Nate Sudfeld and the Eagles and Joe <laughs> my, my, Judge. Um, he, he'll, be, he'll be my next book. <laughs> Nate Sudfeld? I swear, yeah. I, I, there was a preseason game where I'm, I turned to somebody and go, Nate Sudfeld, he might be something. Maybe the next Nick Foles. Did you ever have that moment? They were part, you know, it's funny. He played that season ending game in 2017, the year that the Eagles yeah. won the Super Bowl. And he wasn't bad compared to Nick Foles. Yeah. And, it, and if you remember, it was actually like an open question like, what if the Eagles have to bench Nick Foles in the playoffs and play Nate Sudfeld? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, they completely revamped the offense in the two weeks before they played Atlanta in the di- divisional round. And Foles played out <laughs> of his mind and Philly special, et cetera, et cetera. But it's funny to think back to that time. Yeah, you know, they tendered him a, a second-round pick, which is pretty good. Uh, so yeah. there, there was definitely a Nate Sudfeld moment. And he looks like Foles from the back because his hair comes out. He's gigantically tall. So anyway, yes. maybe he is the next Foles. And my line, who's tanking now? That would be great. <laughs> That'd be perfect. <laughs> awesome, Mike. I appreciate the time. Uh, keep plugging away. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> All right, that was Mike Sealski of the Philadelphia Inquirer. I think that's enough Philly outrage for today. Uh, Against the Grain will be coming back weekly throughout the playoffs. Should be exciting, and it's almost NFL draft time. I have some very strong takes. Uh, I feel like people are premature on all this quarterback talk because we have to find out hand sizes of the combine before anybody makes any decisions. So you're going to get analysis like that all year long. I'm Andrew Perloff. Thanks to Marvin Prince. This is Against the Grain. Against the Grain.